Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome this morning. Hey, great to see everybody here today. Take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We are in the book of Luke and going through this together. We are in the miracles portion. We're looking at four different miracles from the book of Luke. We looked the very first week at how these four men had to get their buddy to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they tore open a roof and they dropped him down right in front of him, right in the middle of his teaching. And he makes an incredible statement, which is easier for the Son of Man to say, your sins be forgiven or rise and take up your bed and walk. And he said that you might know the son of man hath power to forgive sins. I say unto you, rise and take up your bed and walk. And so in that miracle, he does two things. The very first time he forgives sins and he gives healing back to that man. God can absolutely do anything. He can forgive your sins. He can heal your bodies. He is an incredible miracle worker. And then we saw a couple of weeks ago how that he heals a widow's son at the gate of Nain. And they're in a funeral procession, and Jesus Christ messes up a real good funeral, and all the mourners are there, and they are crying, and he raised this guy up from the dead. And Jesus Christ came to bring resurrection life because he is the resurrection and the life. Last week we had Bonnie Floyd with us, and we just saw a 21st century miracle that was absolutely incredible. This week we're going to see God's power over creation and over this attack of the enemy, and it's an amazing story. So let's stand together as we read God's Word, and hopefully by the end of this sermon you will all be able to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Isn't that a powerful song? And it is well with our souls if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can take us through any storm we may encounter along the way. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. What an incredible miracle. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet, sweet presence here today. Lord, you're so good. We're so thankful that when these storms come our way and they attack us so violently, Lord, that you have the answer and you can rebuke the winds and the waves in our own lives and you can say, peace, be still, and all will grow calm around us. So, Lord, grow our faith today. Teach us to trust and believe in you for any situation we may be in. And we'll give you praise and glory and honor. Help me as I preach your word today. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There's an old saying that everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. 
The weather is one of those things you can't control. You have no control over. You know if it's going to be sunny out or raining or you probably can count in the low country it's not going to snow down here. But you don't know what the weather is going to bring on any given particular day. And isn't it like the weather just to come along and totally mess up your plans? I mean, uh, don't you? I, I, I get a lot of requests for weddings and more and more they want to do outdoor weddings. And it can be sunny all week long, but the day of the wedding, it's going to storm and it's going to be nasty outside and it sends everybody running for cover or you have the big cookout planned or or you have this agenda in mind and it rains and just totally messes everything up. It seems like sometimes these storms can come out of nowhere when you least expect it and they come and mess up your life. And so we're going to look at this story today. Jesus Christ is with his disciples. They're crossing over the Sea of Galilee. They've got to get to the other side. And this violent, violent storm comes up. Now let me give you a little backdrop very quickly as we look at this story together. Uh, First of all, the Sea of Galilee. It's 13 miles long. It's about 8 miles wide. So this is the size of this Sea of Galilee, uh, smaller than Lake Moultrie up in Monk's Corner if you live up that way. And so that's about how big this sea is, but they want to make it to the other side of the lake. There are mountains on three sides, and the south side of the Sea of Galilee, the mountains are open. So it was, it was kind of like a funnel effect. And storms could come up at any time as the wind would rush down in between those mountains and sweep across this Sea of Galilee. And uh, it would churn up the waters. They get very choppy. And and the the sailing crafts, the crafts that they would sail in were crude sailing vessels. These aren't big boats we're talking about. These aren't cruise ships. These aren't even uh, really nice long motor boats. These are simply hewed out, very rough, very crude sailing vessels. And so you can imagine this loaded down with all these disciples. It's already hanging low in the water and now a storm comes up and it is going to push and rock their boat and and it would kind of as the wind would blow and that those waves would rock it to one side all of a sudden water would sweep over the other side and you can imagine the disciples as they are panically trying to bail out the water and they're working as hard as they can now these are experienced fishermen and they actually believe that this storm is the one that's going to take them out we are going to drown This is the big one. We've never seen a storm like this before. We're not going to make it to the other side. We are going down with the boat. And so they are panicked, they are frightened, and they literally thought this would be the the storm to end all storms. And they they, they look for Jesus Christ, and uh, they find him, and he's sound asleep. And they're working, and they think they're going to die, and they're hanging on for their life, and and the boat's going back and forth. Now, it's interesting that Jesus Christ told the disciples, let's get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Now, that tells me something. Jesus, following him, will not eliminate storms from your life. In fact, when you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a disciple of his, it may take you right into the storm. You may face some storms you've never had before in your life because you are following the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not prevent the storms from coming your way. And they follow him. Don't you think Jesus knew, you know, he knows everything. Don't you think he knows a storm's going to be coming up? That this was not going to be a surprise to him. It surprised everybody else, but not Jesus Christ. In fact, I will tell you this. Jesus will use storms that come into our lives to teach us some powerful lessons. Lessons that we might not otherwise learn on our own. 
So he allows the squalls to come up. He allows the storms to come up because the Lord is trying to teach us something. Often in our own life, our greatest growth takes place in times of storm. It's it's the trees, you know, the roots of the trees will go deeper down into the ground and they hang on when the storms come and they blow and they, they come across those trees. And so what happens is often in our own lives, those storms cause us to run to the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of depending on ourselves and our own strength to get us by, we say, God, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? And we pursue the Lord and we hunger after him and we get into his word and we pray like we've never prayed before. Sometimes we get real lax in our own prayer life and we forget to pray and things are going fine and we're just kind of buzzing through life and sailing uh, smoothly across the sea of life. But then the storm comes and what do you say? God, I need your help. I wonder how much we would pray if the storms never came. And it pushes us back to the Lord and we cry out to him and we, we seek him for help and strength in that time. It's in those times of storms we get a new revelation of God's sustaining grace and who he is. By the time you get to the end of this story, they say, who are you? Even the winds and the waves obey you. And they got a fresh revelation of the power and the majesty and the might of God. And it's in those times of storms we get a revelation of who God is. That God is a God of grace and he is a good God. And God can bring us through any storm or any challenge we might face. It's in the storms. It's in the storms that our faith is built up. And our faith gets stronger and stronger in these storms so that we'll be ready when the next storm comes our way, our faith will be strengthened to face that storm or that challenge or that trial that comes our way. Our faith is built up. But there's something very interesting about this storm. I don't believe it was just a natural storm that happened in the atmosphere. Yes, it did. Yes, it was played out in the atmosphere. Yes, the rain came. Yes, the winds blew. Yes, the waves were stirred up. All this is happening. But there's something about this storm that I think is different than other storms that maybe had swept through the Sea of Galilee in the past. Let me tell you why I believe that. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 2 that Satan is the prince and power of the air. Now, keep in mind, this is fairly early in Jesus' ministry. He's already been to the wilderness, and he's had a 40-day encounter with Satan himself. It's called the time of temptation, the mount of temptation. And he faces these incredible temptations. He hasn't eaten food for 40 days and 40 nights, and there's been this one-on-one tack with Satan trying to uh, deceive Jesus Christ and get him to fall and stumble in that occasion. And finally, in Luke chapter 4, he describes this scene. In verse 13, it says, And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left until an opportune time. What greater opportune time than when the boat's sailing across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus Christ is sound asleep? What better opportune time to take out Jesus Christ? You know, the Bible says that Satan is the murderer from the beginning. He is a murderer, and it says that the thief cometh but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that this storm was satanically inspired. I believe it was a satanic attack to take out the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's there. That's more opportune time is there. Verse 24 then also says he rebukes the wind and the raging waters. Now, when it says Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, the word for rebuke there is the same word you see a few chapters earlier when a demoniac comes before Jesus Christ and begins to identify who Jesus Christ is and hollers after him and begins to cry out. What does it say Jesus Christ does? It says he turns around and he rebuked the demon spirits. The same word for rebuking the winds and the waves. There's no difference in the language there. So if this is a, just a storm of nature, which God is behind all of nature, I do not see a picture of Jesus Christ rebuking himself or God the Father, whatever you might say. I believe that the language here points to a satanic attack of the enemy trying to kill and destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. Very severe language. The word rebuke has the idea of... of uh, of an authority figure bringing a subordinate back into a line. In other words, if you're a subordinate and I rebuke you, it means I bring you back into line. Straighten up, get back into line, shut up, behave yourself, don't do that, whatever. It's a superior talking to a subordinate. Who is the superior in this case? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is absolutely superior to any demonic force of hell that is out there, and so he is bringing this demonic spirit back into line very very picturesque language here it says in so many words shut up the bible says all was calm you can imagine the silence of the sea of galilee must have been eerie you ever been in a storm on a river after it stormed and just it's just it's flat calm uh we we, we have a kayak and we were going to go out kayaking it had been storming and uh, the storm went away, and I said, Jeannie, let's go kayaking right now. It's going to be really calm out there. It's going to be peaceful. And so we went, and we launched our kayaks, and we were going to go out on the river, and, uh, but it hadn't quite quieted down yet. And Jeannie got in the middle of that water and says, get me out of this kayak right now. And the, 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 the waves were just kind of rocking that kayak back and forth, and we had to pull her out. Uh, her flip-flops are blowing off the dock, and I'm having to chase them down in the river. And uh, anyway, it doesn't always work like that. But there was, there was an eerie calm that settles down on the Sea of Galilee. It just becomes like glass, and it's all quiet as he told the winds and waves to shut up. Last November, uh, Hurricane Matthew blew in. How many remember Matthew? You were around here for that. How, how, many, how many when Matthew came and blew in, how many headed for the hills? Let me see your hands. Okay, yeah. I think about there were 300,000 plus, maybe 400,000 that evacuated the city during Hurricane Matthew that left. Uh, I think winds were hitting over 100 miles an hour when they hit land. Um, I chose not to go. I chose to stay here. And so I, I hung around when, when Matthew was here, and many head on out. The problem is if you leave town, the hard part is getting back into town because the roads will jam up on you. And Nikki Haley did a good job of rerouting the interstates, and people were cruising right on out and got out fairly quickly. It, uh, and, but but uh, coming back in was the challenge. And so I, I, I chose to stay. And I remember sitting on the, on the, in the sunroom on the back of my house, and I watched the storm. 
fascinating. I mean, the trees are just blowing over back and forth, all the way, bending all the way down, uh, bending over. I watch the river coming up as it's getting closer and closer to my back porch and hoping that it doesn't get into our basement area down below and destroy the apartment that's down there. And uh, it just stopped about this close to coming on in. So we were glad we escaped that. We escaped. Uh, we had one huge tree fell down in the yard and that was about it. So we did pretty good. And I watched that. And, and on the inside of the house, it was extremely calm. In fact, we lost our power, and most of many of you lost power as well. And so the only noise that could be heard was a generator that I started up downstairs to kind of keep some power going. And, of course, it was Saturday, so I had to keep the football games on. So I plugged up the TV, forget the, everything else in the house. We don't need lights or anything. We just, just get the generator going so you can watch football. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a very calm, surreal experience on the inside. And here's my rationale. I was here for her. How many were here for Hurricane Hugo? Okay. I figure if I survive Hugo, I can survive anything. Who is Matthew to Hugo? I mean, Hugo is the, was the Mac Daddy of all hurricanes, in my opinion. And so we survived that. But, but the bottom line is there was a peace on the inside, inside of that house, while the storm was raging on the outside. Now, here's the problem with the disciples. Not only are they overwhelmed by the wind and waves on the outside, but the Bible tells us they are overwhelmed by fear on the inside. This is the emotional response. They are full of fear. They think they're going to drown. They think they're going to die. And on the inside, they're getting messed up. And they, they say this phrase, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now, this story is found in three of the Gospels. Luke is the only one to use this terminology, master. And so he will say it not only once, but twice. And because you say it twice, master, master, you get this sense of urgency. And so the, he's painting the picture. Luke is the doctor. He's painting this very graphic picture of what took place on this event. And the disciples are literally afraid for their lives. But here's the thing. Jesus is in the very same storm. He's on the very same boat. But the difference is he is at totally at peace on the inside. All of us will go through storms. All of us face challenges. All of us have rough times and bumpy paths along the way. All of us have trials and tests that will face us. But my question to you is, what's going on on the inside? And Jesus is totally at peace because he has total trust in his heavenly Father. And if his heavenly father said, let's go to the other side of the lake and take your disciples there, and he's following every word and obeying him, he knows that the heavenly father will get him through to the other side. While the storm raged outside, Jesus was at perfect peace within. On the other hand, the disciples are filled with fear. And, and notice their conversation with Jesus. They, they interpret Jesus Christ sleeping as a lack of care. Now follow me here, because it says, they, they use this phrase, and, and you get it stronger in Mark's gospel. Mark says in Mark 4, 38, Master, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Now Jesus is at perfect peace. He's sound asleep on a soggy pillow. I can imagine that boat's going back and forth. He's down in the hull of the boat. It's filling up with water. It's probably coming all around his arms and legs. And he's, you know, just, just coming on up in there. And they shake him and say, Master, Master, don't you care that we drown? How many times do we interpret God's silence 
as a lack of care. I mean, at the core, when, when things are going wrong and we don't understand what's happening in our lives, we say, God, don't you care? If you really cared, you would listen to me. If you really cared, you would answer my prayer. If you really cared, you'd get me out of this jam. If you really cared, you'd do a miracle right now. If you really cared, you would not let me suffer in this way. And we interpret what happens in our life and the storms that come our life, even though God may be wanting to work a bigger plan, we interpret it often as a lack of care. That God is not a good God. That somehow God changed his character. That he's only good some of the time. He's not good all the time. And we cry out, Lord, are you asleep? And do you care? And do you even know what's going on in my life? Do you even see what's happening? He wakes up. He confronts the enemy. He, the power of his spoken word, he just speaks the words, and the Bible says, and the wind and heard him, and the winds and the waves obeyed. There's a messianic psalm in Psalm 89, verse 9. It says, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. God can still, still, and calm even the most violent storm. He came against a satanic attack, a satanic force, and he won. He won. He was victorious. And then when he comes the storm, and, and sometimes, a couple of the other gospel writers have him saying this before the storm has come. Some say after he calmed the storm. Really, you know, it, it, both. He may have said it both times, most likely. He said, where's your faith? He calms the storm and maybe said again, where's your faith? But anyway, he calms the storm on this occasion and says, where is your faith in verse 25? Now, this seems like a very hard question for disciples who've left their families, left their jobs, left their homes, left everything behind to follow Jesus Christ. And then he looks at them and kind of says, where's your faith? Hey, guys, where is your faith? Matthew 8, 26 puts it this way, same story. Oh, you of little faith. Now, they had a little faith. They had a, enough faith to go and wake Jesus Christ up right? I mean, there was some faith there because they knew who to run to. Lord, get up. You can do something about this. And so they had a little faith, but not enough to think that they would still not perish, right? Little faith, enough faith to wake Jesus, but not enough to calm the fear inside of them that they were all going to drown. Don't you know we're going to drown? Little faith. Why is it little faith? Well, in verse 22, Jesus Christ said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now listen to me. If Jesus said it, it's going to come about. That's why their faith is small. If he tells you something, if he speaks a word to you, if the word of God speaks something to us, then God keeps his word. And if he said, let's go to the other side of the lake, then that tells me we're going to get there. If Jesus said it, I believe it. But somehow, in this moment, fear overwhelms them and they don't believe they're going to make it. So their faith was small. Second, your boat won't go under if Jesus Christ is on board. He can be asleep. He can be awake, but the bottom line is your boat's not going down if you got Jesus on board. And third, they underestimated his absolute authority. They still weren't sure of who he was. Now, now look at this last verse. He says, in amazement, they said, who is this? 
that when it's all done and the seas come, who is this guy? They still are not completely sure of who he is and his power and his authority. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You see, their fear of the moment paralyzed their faith. They had faith, faith enough to follow Jesus Christ, faith enough to wake him up. They had a little faith, but fear overtook their faith. Fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. Christ has all authority, and his presence in us assures us that we will get safely to the other side. And the Lord is able to give you the peace you need even in the midst of the storm. So while the storm is going on, even though your surroundings may not change, even though the wind may not stop right away, the waves may not calm down right away, there should be a peace within that passes all understanding that even in the midst of the storm, I can trust that God is a good God. He knows what's going on. He has all power, all authority, and I don't need to be afraid. Faith. I want you to turn to Psalm 46, and we'll put it on the screen there if you don't have your Bibles. Listen to this. This is just such a great passage. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, uh, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations in an uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. They're afraid. They're going to drown. But something different happens. After he calms the storms, they're afraid again. Only this time, their fear moves to a reverential fear. It's the fear of God that leads us to wisdom and understanding. It's a reverential fear of the majesty and greatness of who God is. They had received a new revelation of the majesty of their master. Who could this be? Who is this man? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one we've been looking for and waiting for? Is he going to be our new king of Israel? Is he our savior? Is he God himself? Who is this man? I want to give you four very quick things about how we respond when storms come our way, especially if it's a satanic-inspired attack. By the way, when you sign up to follow Jesus Christ, you are immediately thrust into a warfare. And because Satan is the prince and power of the air, we are, so to speak, on earth behind enemy lines. We have been dropped here by God, saved by God. We are behind enemy lines, and we are fighting in a spiritual warfare in a battle all around us all the time. And so, number one, you can expect struggles from the force of darkness. You can expect a warfare to occur. It will happen. It will take place in our lives. If they tried to take out Jesus Christ, the Bible says they will also try to come after you said, the same ones who killed me will come after you. And so if they try to take out Jesus and all the other disciples, then they will try to take you out. The enemy still has one strategy and one plan, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy you. Make no mistake about it. He comes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and we are in a very real spiritual warfare. 
Realize that. Number two, stand firm and live out your faith. The bottom line is if you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing to be afraid of because he is my rock. He is my fortress. Of whom shall I be afraid? You're a believer. You have a power that is within you. And the Bible says he that is within me is greater than anything else that is in the world. And so I encourage you, read the promises of God. Read about the miracles because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like he was with those disciples in the Sea of Galilee, he will be with you through any kind of storm you may face in your life. It's good news. Number three, resist the forces of darkness by the power of the Holy Spirit. In those times when you are going through the storm of life, our recourse is to claim God's promises. God, I am standing on your word. I am standing on the promises of the word of God. And the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, when you are going through a trial, let that drive you to your knees. Don't throw your hands up in desperation. Don't say it's no good, we're all doomed. Uh, Don't say we're about to drown, what do I do? I get on my knees and say, God, there's a mess going on around me. I may not understand what you're trying to do in my life. I don't know why I'm going through this trial or test right now. But God, I will trust in you. I will believe in you. I know you have the answer. And you press in in prayer. Let those roots go down deep into the Lord Jesus Christ. And number four, listen to this one. Never forget that we are fighting on the winning side. We win. We win. Listen, people, we will get to the other side. Even if I perish, I have everlasting life. I am immediately ushered into the presence of the Lord. And ultimately, we win the battle. We win. We will be injured on occasion. There will be times we will stumble and fall. But I have right now, the Bible says, I live in freedom from spiritual bondage. I am no longer bound by the chains of the enemy. Even though I sin, even though I blow it from time to time, I am no longer controlled by my carnal nature, my sin nature, my flesh nature. I live by the Spirit. I walk in the Spirit, and I walk in the victory that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we know the outcome, we have every reason to live with confidence and faith that we win. And I will make it to the other side. Now listen to me this morning. If you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are already being rocked by this world. This world is pushing you all around, and your life is a mess, and it's only going to get worse. But there is an answer, and it's found in Jesus Christ. He is your hope. He can save you today. He can take away any sin. He can just undo the mess of your past and give you a brand new life and a brand new start in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do you do if you're lost today? You just say, God, help me. I'm drowning. Save me. Save me, Lord. Come into my life. If you pray a simple prayer like that, the Lord will come in. He'll give you a perfect peace in your heart, even in the midst of storms. And he will get you safely to the other side. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for everybody that's here today. Thank you that you love us so much and that you're a good, good God and you are still powerful and you're still mighty to calm the storms and the situations and the trials that come our way. And so, Lord, we come to you today. I pray, God, for anyone here who may not know you this morning, this morning your Holy Spirit will draw them by your grace 
by your strength. They will surrender their lives to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.